Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 67, Is Christmas a Pagan Holiday? There have been a lot of controversies in recent times about Christmas. Should people be able to put manger scenes on public land? Should children sing Christmas-themed songs in public schools? Should we say Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas? But in this episode, I'm going to discuss a controversy that's strictly among Christians, and not really among all Christians, but in a certain large wing of Christianity. Because you know, there are plenty of Christians in the world who think that Christians should not celebrate Christmas. If you're like many people, your first reaction to that is, why not? Don't we want to honor God for sending his son to save the world? Isn't this just a hang-up of cranks, weirdos, legalists, or people who are enemies of Christ? There have been commenters who have been suspicious of any questioning of Christmas. There's a secret secular agenda, or maybe it's the Jews who are behind this. The Jews, of course, are against Christ, so they must be against Christmas. No, I don't think it is a hang-up of cranks, weirdos, legalists, or people who are enemies of Christ. I think it's a legitimate subject of dispute. The people who challenge Christmas traditions are simply Protestants. Or, we could say, Christians who are not Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, and who are less small-c Catholic in their beliefs and practices than some other Protestants. The Wikipedia entry on Christmas controversy says, quote, Certain Christian sects and communities reject the observance of Christmas for theological reasons. These include Jehovah's Witnesses, adherents of Messianic Judaism, most Sabbatarian denominations, such as the True Jesus Church and the Church of God's Seventh Day, the Iglesia Ni Cristo, the Christian Congregation in Brazil, the Christian Congregation in the United States, and certain Reformed and Fundamentalist churches of various persuasions, including some Independent Baptist, Holiness, Apostolic Pentecostal, and Churches of Christ congregations, end quote. If you think it's crazy to raise any opposition to Christmas, and who but a crank would do that, well, I think you should be embarrassed to say that, especially if you're a Protestant. The Puritans in England and America didn't celebrate Christmas. It was just viewed as too Roman Catholic for them. And it's only since around the middle of the 19th century that Christmas has been widely celebrated outside the circles of Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Episcopalians, and Lutherans. I have to say that I'm glad that Christians think this is worth arguing about. Since it has ceased being persecuted by Roman Catholicism, Protestantism has lost a lot of its fight. And very often, Protestants just want to be unquestioningly small-c Catholic in their doctrine and practice. People, the Reformation started because Christians, Catholic Christians, studied the Bible and were convinced that certain doctrines and practices were without foundation in the New Testament and also went against the teaching of the Bible. And so that's why they risked life and limb and war to branch off from the Roman Catholic Church. It's only since sometime in the 19th century that Roman Catholicism has changed its tune about religious freedom and suddenly become a friend of freedom of conscience. It's an interesting question why and how consistent this is with core Roman Catholic principles. But in any case, 
If you're an Anabaptist, a Baptist, a Unitarian, some of your forebears rejected the practice of Christmas. And in the present day, there are Christians and Christian groups who denounce the celebration of Christmas as pagan. So is it? Well, what does it mean to say that something is pagan? The term pagan comes from the Latin paganus, which means literally country dweller. Christian movements seem to have spread earliest and farthest in the cities of the Roman Empire. And so people who held to traditional Roman religions or other traditional polytheistic religions were associated in people's minds with country dwellers, with hicks, with country bumpkins. So the term for hick, country bumpkin, hayseed, paganus, came to refer to people who were adherents of some pre-Christian religion with its own pantheon of deities, such as the kind of traditional religion you would see among the Romans or the Greeks or the Egyptians or the Celts, etc. Now, is Christmas pagan? I think you have to distinguish the origin of a holiday from the current day function of a holiday. Is Christmas pagan in origin? Well, it's basically Catholic in origin. My understanding is that the celebration of December 25th as the birthday of Jesus was really established by mainstream Catholic Christianity in the West sometime in the 4th century. So in one sense, no, it's not pagan in origin, it's Catholic in origin, small c Catholic. But at the same time, I think it's uncontroversial to say that many specific elements of Christmas as currently practiced did originate in the context of various pagan religions. Many pagan cultures had a winter solstice, and in Rome there was a holiday around that time for the sun god and a festival to the god Saturn. And these happened around the time that was assigned to Christmas. Why do we celebrate it on the 25th? Well, apparently part of the motivation for that was to kind of overwrite or co-opt certain pagan celebrations. As I understand, a case can be made that Jesus was really born around September, around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And besides the date, other elements of Christmas traditional practice seem to have had an origin in some pagan culture such as the use of a Yule log or a Christmas tree. These seem to go back to the cultures of certain Germanic and Scandinavian peoples. But, you know, lots of things are of pagan origin, which Christians gladly practice and don't seem to feel any twinge of conscience about. The Olympics was a pagan festival dedicated to the pantheon of ancient Greece. But many Christians enjoy the Olympics on TV or in person, or participate in the games as athletes. And these believers who participate as athletes, they do so with a thankful heart and in a way so as to please Jesus, their Lord. Calling the seventh day of the week Saturday, I think, is a pagan practice that refers to the name of a pagan deity, Saturn. Well, it's one thing for a practice to be pagan in origin, and it's another thing for a practice to be pagan in function. Is Christmas pagan in function? I would say, obviously not. Christmas, as currently practiced, does not involve idol worship, does not involve sacrifices to false deities, there are no prayers to Odin or to the Roman sun god. The purpose of Christmas is widely known and it's not controversial at all. The purpose is to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now just imagine that the situation were reversed 
Imagine that there was a ceremony which was originally Christian, which had become pagan. Imagine you're walking across a university campus and you see a group of people and uh, they're passing around bread and breaking off a piece of bread. Then they have a cup of wine and they're either drinking from that cup of wine or they're dipping the bread in the wine. And somebody up at the front is saying something and you say, oh, these are some Christians having communion. And then you talk to them and you realize they are worshiping the earth and the bread stands for, I don't know, Mother Earth. And the wine represents the blood of the enemies that the Father Deity has slain. Now, is that a Christian or a pagan ceremony? Well, it's Christian in origin. The forms, the actual actions, those began life as Christian practices. But the current function is pagan. It's in the worship of these other deities. And frankly, the function seems to matter a lot more than the origin. So keep imagining with me, there's a body of water like a pond or a pool. And you see a bunch of people there lined up and looking at something and someone's standing in the water. People have got white robes on. Someone goes down to the water, stands next to that person who's there. Person who's there says... I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And they dunk them down in the water and raise them up. And you say to yourself, oh, I've just witnessed a Christian baptism here. So you hang around afterwards and you talk with them a little bit. And you find out that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, those terms refer to three goats that live on a holy mountain in Mexico somewhere. And that baptism is for the purpose of giving you magical powers to kill your enemy by using an evil eye. And when you dunk a person under the water and say the names of those three deities, this will give that magic power to this person. That's what they believe. Now, in either of these cases, are you going to make the argument to the people in those groups? Haha, you're Christian and you don't even know it. You're Christians, suckers. You thought you were practicing this other religion, but really you're practicing Christianity. No, get real. You're going to quickly realize that the origin of a certain practice is one thing, but the current function of a practice is another. And really, the in, at least if we're talking about things that aren't inherently right or wrong, what matters about the practice is really the intention God is not going to honor these people because they're doing the Lord's Supper and baptism or something that looks like those things. He's going to judge by their intention. They're worshiping false gods. That is their purpose. That is what they mean to be up to. Obviously, a Christian would not partake of that kind of worship. They have no desire to honor these false deities. They don't believe our deities or to be worshipped. Okay, now come back to reality. Are these Christian friends of yours who are celebrating Christmas, have they become pagans? No. They worship the same God that you do. Why are they doing that? Well, ask them. They'll tell you why they're doing it. Yeah, but the tree, the presents, the candles, those were taken from pagan sources. Well, yeah, I guess, you know, way back in the day, in the Middle Ages, when some tribe converted... Somehow those practices came into Roman Catholicism, and then they survived into the Protestant era. That's right, but so? They've become Christian practices now, right? Yeah, but those practices aren't in the Bible. Well, they certainly aren't. And so, if they were, they would be 
practices that uh, all Christians should agree on, and there really shouldn't be any dispute about whether they should be done. That is, if the Christmas practices were enjoined by Scripture and by apostolic tradition. But there are many church practices that aren't explicitly in the Scripture, taking offering in a certain way, singing songs in a certain way. There are some Christian groups that will end their meeting with a hymn. Now, what if you found out that ending your meeting with a hymn was a pagan practice? You would say, big deal. Okay, so I'll grant that it's not in the Bible. The question is whether it's appropriate or inappropriate for Christians to do it now. And of course, it doesn't follow that it's inappropriate just because it's not mentioned in the Bible. Now, if it conflicts with something in the Bible, then I think that would be important to point out. We wouldn't want to do anything that's contrary to God's will. Now, some people think that certain elements of Christmas practice are in the Bible and that they're forbidden in the Bible. One favorite passage to cite is Jeremiah chapter 10, where the prophet denounces the use of trees by pagans. And there are other passages where God, through a prophet, urges the people not to adopt the ways of the nations around them. In response, in Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah is talking about the use of trees for idolatry, for idol worship. They make an image that's supposed to represent their deity, and then they treat that image as if it were the deity. It's idolatry that's the sin here. It's idolatry which God is so against. It's not the use of trees to decorate one's house, or the adorning of trees to make a decoration, or anything like that. Why would God be against those things? If you think merely that having a tree in your house and decorating it is idolatry, or the making of an idol, well, you should get out a little bit more. Idolatry is not a subject merely relevant to ancient times. The world is full of idolatry now. Go hang out at your local Buddhist temple or your local Hindu temple, and you'll see what idolatry is. And you'll see that Christians are literally not practicing idolatry just by having Christmas tree decorations in their house. It doesn't serve the function of an idol. They don't bow to it. They don't treat it like a welcome visitor or an important person. They stick presents under it? Yeah, but that's, that's just where the presents go, right? They don't think they're making an offering to the tree or to what the tree represents. So if you want to know what the function of the Christmas tree is, you just ask the people who are using it. You don't get to assign the function based on what people did in ancient Babylon or in ancient Rome. The function is what it is. It's the role it plays in those people's lives. And it's the role that determines whether or not this object is being used as an idol. So it's true, I think, that idolatry is a serious concern. It's of continuing relevance. And it's not just an issue of which gods you're worshiping. In my view, the Old Testament forbids even worshiping God, even worshiping Yahweh with idols. If you look closely at the golden calf incident in Exodus, I think that's what's going on. But God rejected their worship. He didn't want to be worshipped in that way. While it's easy to understand why God would in general be against idolatry, even as applied to him, it's really impossible to imagine why God could be against using trees for indoor decorations. Here's an analogy. Lighting fires is a major part of a great many pagan ceremonies, for instance in Hinduism. And if the Jews had lived near India, then God may have told them 
you know, do not build sacred fires. So fast forward to the present time, there's a tradition of making a campfire and sitting around the campfire and singing some songs, maybe telling some scary stories, roasting some hot dogs, things like that. Someone came along and said, hey, don't you know God hates that? He says he hates these sacred fires. He hates these fire ceremonies. How can you do that? Don't you know that the pagans would build a fire and sit around it and sing songs and eat food together, tell stories around this fire? How can you do stuff like that? Well, we have to judge by the function of the ceremony and not just by the outward form of it, right? How could pagan practice ruin a very simple practice like that? Namely, building a campfire, sitting around it, and enjoying it. They couldn't. Well, it's the same with giving presents, having a feast, lighting a fire, making certain desserts, or cutting down an evergreen tree, putting it in your house, and decorating it. Now, with some of my Unitarian friends, the objections aren't so much practical as theological. They say, the Jesus of Christmas is not the Jesus I believe in, and the God preached in Christmas is not the God I believe in. God in Christmas tradition is viewed as the Trinity, and they view Jesus as God became flesh. He's the God-man, and people wonder at the idea that the God who made and governs the universe is now an infant in diapers crying for his mommy. That's not the God I believe in, and that's not the Son of God I believe in. My answer is, yes, they are. That is literally the same God in whom you believe, and that literally is the same Son of God. The one they're talking about being born in the manger is the Son of God you believe in. When Trinitarians say that Jesus is fully divine, and you say that Jesus is the human Messiah and not fully divine, you're not talking past one another, talking about two different beings. You're talking about one and the same Jesus. You're disagreeing about his metaphysical nature. Subject matter is the same. Christology is different. And when the Roman Catholic says that God sent his son, the God they're talking about is the God in whom you, the Unitarian Christian, believe. It's the one true God, the God of the Jews. Of course, there is a theological disagreement, yes, about whether this God is tripersonal, as the Trinitarian believes, or whether God is instead a single perfect person or self, as the Unitarian believes. But the disagreement is about one and the same being. If there were two different beings being talked about, there wouldn't be a disagreement. But there is. So Christmas Mass practiced in a Roman Catholic church this is not the celebration of a false god and a false messiah. No, this is a celebration about the true God and about the real messiah. But it's in a context, the Unitarian believes, of mistaken speculative doctrines about God and about Jesus. Still, granting that, the Unitarian may find plenty to object to, for instance, in the lyrics of traditional hymns and songs. And yeah, if a song contains false theology, then... That song should be revised or set aside, shouldn't be part of Christian tradition. We don't want to enshrine theological mistakes in art. But still, as to the intention, we know what their intention is, whether you're talking about an evangelical Christian in America or Roman Catholic somewhere in the world, 
Their intention in celebrating Christmas is to honor God and Jesus. Admittedly, some of them might find that statement redundant. Of course, that's not everyone's intention who celebrates Christmas. Christmas as currently practiced is both a religious holiday and a secular holiday. There's a whole range of recent traditions which have nothing whatever to do with God and Jesus. The fables about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus, and his elves in the North Pole, and all that jazz. And I could see why some people would think this is foolishness that shouldn't have any part of the Christian tradition. Others would say it's harmless, but still let's not forget the reason for the season. And some say, look, the whole thing is just a wad of corruption. You got the pagan elements, you got all the materialism and greed that comes into Christmas as currently practiced. Better we should just be rid of the whole thing. Where do I stand on all this? My family and I celebrate Christmas. Now, had we been, say, Scandinavians in the Middle Ages who had recently converted from our traditional religion, we would probably be very troubled in conscience about repurposing any of our pagan traditions. We might look at lighting candles, or having a Yule log, or opening presents, or having a special tree which we decorate. We might look at stuff like that and say, no, we want to make a clean break with that. We're not going to repurpose things and uh, try to give them some new Christian meaning. That would feel like a compromise to us. I think that's how we would have felt had we been in a very different time and circumstance. But as we stand now, that repurposing happened a long, long time ago. And now my family and I really couldn't care less about what medieval pagans meant to be doing by decorating evergreen trees in their houses. And we really couldn't care less whether or not the Romans used December 25th to honor one of their false deities. Pagans don't have the power to permanently sully or to make unholy things like trees or days or candles. Now I agree with some of the criticisms of Christmas as currently practiced. I disagree with the greed and the materialism, with maybe some of the overindulgence. I don't really have any objection to things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but I don't really see them as valuable, and I think they could be a distraction from this being an actual religious holiday. But as to the religious holiday, celebrating the birth of Jesus with presents, a Christmas tree, Christmas carols, Christmas cards, a big feast... I've never felt any twinge of conscience about those things, but I fully recognize that not all Christians are like me in that respect, and that I have no right whatever to despise, abuse, or insult those who disagree about Christmas. And if I were in a church body with such fellow believers, I would have to possibly limit or temporarily at least eliminate my public celebration of Christmas. And I think the group as a whole, in some cases, should decide, for the sake of these members who think it's a sin or an act of pagan worship, not to participate as a group. Where do I get all this? From Paul. To wrap up this episode, I'm going to read you all of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, and part of chapter 15. And this is in a translation you probably haven't heard before. It's by the great 19th century English Unitarian scholar Thomas Belsham in The Epistles of Paul the Apostle, Volume 1. I'm modernizing his translation, getting rid of the these and thous, but otherwise it's his translation. And I'll interrupt a few times to explain what's going on 
and how I think this is relevant to Christmas controversies. Moreover, receive kindly him who is weak in faith, not censuring him because of his doubts. For one believes that he may eat any kind of food, another, who is weak, eats only herbs. So Paul is writing here to a group of Christians at Rome, some of whom are Gentile converts and some of whom are ethnically Jews, who have now accepted the message of Jesus. And the issue is whether or not these believers could buy and eat meat that was sold in the marketplace of the city, which has been sacrificed to idols. And some Jews were so concerned to not worship idols, to not give honor to the pagan gods, that they would just avoid meat altogether, because they could never be sure that in the processing of it, it hadn't been in some way dedicated to one of those deities. In contrast, the Gentiles were used to eating food like that, when they bought it in the market, it didn't really mean anything. It wasn't for them an act of worship to the pagan deities. And frankly, Paul is on their side. Food is food. There's nothing inherently holy or unholy. There's nothing inherently right or wrong about eating a piece of meat. And Paul characterizes those who refuse to eat meat as, quote, weak in faith. They can't quite get their head around that these things are allowable to the Christian under the New Deal. They can't let go of those scruples. Now, with both kinds of people in one church, a problem is going to arise. Early Christian weekly meetings were called the Love Feast, and they involved a meal held together, a full meal, not only a token meal, as later developed. Are they going to serve meat or not? The Gentiles want meat. They like meat. And yet there are these fellow believers, it's against their conscience to eat that meat. That's pagan meat. So you can see how this is going to lead to problems. Now what does Paul say to them? Let not him who eats despise him who eats not. And let not him who eats not condemn him who eats. For God has accepted him. So the ones who feel they have wider latitude or greater liberty have been despising the others, or at least they're tempted to do that. And those with a more restrictive view are tempted to condemn the meat eaters as idolaters, probably, or compromisers, or pagans, or just sinners. You're unholy. You've eaten that unholy meat. Paul's telling both sides, you can't do those things. He continues, who are you that condemns another man's servant? To his master he stands or falls, but he shall be established, for God is able to establish him. So Paul says to, you could say, the more liberal, how dare you despise those who think it's wrong to eat that meat? And he says to, you could say, the more restrictive, how dare you condemn the people who eat that meat? Friends, Christmas is like the meat. That meat was a lot more closely associated with actual pagan worship than any current-day Christmas practice, right? Hundreds of years ago, Christmas trees were being used by pagans, and uh, that has little connection to what we're doing now. But in the case Paul is addressing, this meat was bought from pagans, and very likely they in some way dedicated it to their gods. These early Christians who are eating it, they're saying, yeah, well, we're not worshiping those gods. We're just eating meat. We cook it, we give thanks, and we chow down. We're not worshiping Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, etc. 
Now, I have to confess to you that in the past, I have been on the side of the despisers. I mentioned I always have practiced Christmas with the family I grew up in and with my family now. And I have been harsh and, I think, arrogant in dismissing the concerns of people who challenged Christmas and of writing them off as kooks and weirdos and people with silly hang-ups. Well, I disagree that these things are tainted and forbidden for Christians to do these Christmas traditions, but I have fully repented of that attitude. If I were to visit a church and find out, oh, you guys don't practice Christmas? Okay, great. Why would they have to? You guys practice Christmas on a different day? You've calculated that it happened in September and that's when you do it and you don't do any of the Santa stuff or the trees or the presents? Sounds good. Now maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you've always found Christmas to be pretty outrageous. You can't really understand why other Christians would partake of such pagan practices. Well, I invite you to listen to the Apostle and to repent of that judgment that you've made on your fellow Christians. Like he says, you can't undertake to condemn them. God has accepted them. Still, obviously, you have to follow your conscience in this. Now, of course, Judaism has a big list of holy days, and then there's the weekly Sabbath on which you cannot work. And so, too, there was a dispute in this ancient church in Rome between the Gentiles, who didn't care about those things, and some of the Jewish believers who did. Back to Paul. One man esteems one day above another, but another man esteems every day alike. Let everyone freely enjoy his own opinion. He who regards the day regards it to the Lord. And he who disregards the day, disregards it to the Lord. Also, he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains from eating, abstains to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. So whether we live, we live to the Lord, or whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether, therefore, we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both lived and died and rose again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. We know from Paul's other writings that he did not teach that Christians had to keep the Sabbath or any of the Jewish holidays. He thought those things had served their purpose. They're part of the ritual Jewish law, which has now been superseded and which followers of Jesus do not have to observe. Still, he says that both groups belong to the Lord Jesus. And by Lord here, hakurios in Greek, he does mean Jesus, not God. We all belong to Jesus. That is who we are serving. And so the one who observes the day, say a Sabbath keeper, does that to serve Jesus. The one who doesn't is also serving Jesus in his way. One who eats the meat sacrificed to idols, does it in order to serve Jesus, he believes that God's will allows for this, and he gives thanks to God for his food. And the one who refrains from eating that meat sacrificed to idols also is following Jesus. So we're judged by our intention. Now, this doesn't work if you're talking about something intrinsically wrong. You can't commit murder or adultery and then in your heart be serving the Lord Jesus. 
that doesn't work. But we're talking about something that isn't intrinsically right or wrong, something which isn't intrinsically holy or unholy. There can be a difference in those things. That is, one person can do it and thereby please the Lord Jesus, and another person can deliberately not do that same thing and thereby please the Lord Jesus. And now again, just as he said in the case of meat sacrificed to idols, Paul's going to give the same exhortations about condemning and despising when it comes to holy days. But you, why do you condemn your brother? And you, why do you despise your brother? Since we shall all present ourselves before the tribunal of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall acknowledge God. So then, every one of us must give an account of himself to God. Let us then no longer judge one another, but judge this instead, not to lay a stumbling block or a snare in your brother's way. I know and am fully persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unholy in itself, but to him who esteems anything to be unholy, to him it is unholy. But if because of food your brother is upset, you no longer walk in love. To not destroy him by your food for whom Christ died. Let not then your privilege become a subject of reproach. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but justification and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, you didn't become a Christian so that you could have this big feast, did you? You didn't become a Christian just so that you could now eat meat. Now what if it threatens the unity of a fellowship? What if half of the people are going to leave and hate the other ones over this issue? Well, it looks like you should just give in. Those who have the troubled conscience, those who Paul says are weak in their faith, losing their friendship and losing them as part of the fellowship, that's not worth it, right? Just for some meat. Well, I think the same thing would apply to Christmas. I mean, I think Christmas is really great and everything, but if I was in a group that was going to undergo major trauma because some people just, it's not just that they disagreed, it's not just that it annoyed them, but really they thought it was sin and they would be so troubled in conscience they would feel compelled to separate from the group. And maybe then they wouldn't have Christian fellowship. For people like that, I would not celebrate Christmas, at least not in the group. Moreover, He who in these things is the servant of Christ is well-pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore pursue the things which tend to peace and mutual edification. Do not for the sake of meat destroy the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is wrong for a man to eat so as to cause another to stumble. You have faith with regard to yourself? Retain it in the presence of God. Happy is he who doesn't condemn himself in that which he allows. But he who has scruples is condemned if he eat, because he eats not from conviction, and whatever is contrary to conviction is sin. But we who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So we all like to be right, we all like to win the argument, we also, sadly, enjoy getting up on our high horse and hurling condemnation on those who are so very mistaken about whatever the issue is. But this isn't our model. Paul goes on to tell us now whom we are to imitate. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them who reproached you have fallen upon me. 
For whatsoever things were formerly written for our instruction were written that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God of patience and consolation grant you mutual unanimity according to Christ Jesus, that with one consent and with one voice you may give glory to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another as Christ has also received you to the glory of God. Christmas lovers, receive your fellow believers who do not want to participate in Christmas because of the pagan origins of some of its practices. Christmas-free Christians, receive your brothers and sisters in Christ who practice this holiday with the intention of thanking God for sending His one and only Son and honoring Jesus, now the risen and exalted Lord to whom we all must answer, because God has put judgment into His hands. To one group, with all my heart, I say Merry Christmas. To the other group, I say, I hope you have a wonderful week and that God blesses you in every way. Thanks for listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.